Welcome to the new episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Show is hosted and produced by Cody Beck and written and performed by Troy Taylor. That's me. And we are now in our fourth season, Haunted New Orleans. If you're tuning into the podcast for the first time, we suggest you start listening to the Haunted New Orleans season with episode 53 which is where this season begins and where we set the stage for the many dark tales ahead. In each episode of the season, we'll be revealing the history, mystery, spirits, and scandals and sins of New Orleans, a city we believe is the most haunted in America. So toast the city with a hurricane, a Sazerac, and some absinthe, and then stumble on over for the next episode of Haunted New Orleans. There are a lot of things that define the spirit of New Orleans, from its music to its ghosts, but among the top things are its food and drinks. The food in New Orleans is as wonderfully mixed as the city itself. The restaurants here are known for food you can't get anywhere else, or if you can, well, it just doesn't taste the same. Gumbo, jambalaya, mufalettas, po'boys, sure, you can find them in other cities these days, but I promise they won't taste like they do in New Orleans. And the drinks are the same way. Sure, you can order a hurricane anywhere, but it won't taste like it does at Pat O'Brien's. You can even order a Sazerac somewhere else today, but why would you? You can probably even find a hand grenade somewhere, but for God's sakes, why would you drink it? There or here, honestly. Anyway, my point is these things are special in New Orleans. There's no city like it. And that's not something I say just to get you to visit. It's true. And the evidence is everywhere, from the architecture to the ambiance. It's a place where simply stepping into a bar or a restaurant could take you away from the rest of the world for an afternoon, or who knows, maybe the rest of your life. The places where you eat and drink in New Orleans hold the history of the city. It's carved there, figuratively and sometimes literally in the walls. And it can be heard in the stories of bartenders and servers who've been handing over plates and serving drinks for days, months, and years. You can find an eclectic mix of culinary styles in New Orleans, but most people think of Creole and Cajun dishes when they think of the local fare. Neither of these styles came from French food. The early settlers in New Orleans did not bring anything with them as far as a particular dish goes. And in fact, they probably would have starved to death long before they could invent one. Luckily, the native population was willing to share with them the secrets of eating in the unfriendly place where they'd landed. They introduced the French to a variety of breads and mushy cereals made from corn, dried beans, and different kinds of squash. They also taught them about syrups and berries that could be used to flavor meat and how to thicken stews using sassafras or filet powder. The Ursuline nuns brought French culinary skills to New Orleans, growing herbs in their garden, teaching the benefit of using bay leaves in stews and soups, and the use of plants for medicinal purposes. But while they were teaching the white people the basics of cooking, the African slaves were developing real culinary skills, making extraordinary dishes by using what they had to work with. These slaves were descended from people who had been trading with Arab spice merchants for over 700 years. Using their knowledge, they invented the stews and gumbos that have become staples of local cuisine. As New Orleans grew, a good cook became essential to a family's social standing. A Creole lady never ventured far from the kitchen when an important meal was being prepared. Many kitchen slaves were even taught to read so that they could adapt French recipes into New Orleans fare. The cooks used the French peasant's thickener like roux and turned it into a dark base that is used for many local specialties like etouffee, gumbo, creole sauce, and turtle soup. 
The Spanish brought their own culinary customs to New Orleans, along with the ideas and products adapted from the Mayans and the Aztecs of Central America and the people of the West Indies, like yams, kidney beans, red peppers, allspice, and tomatoes. The Spanish added green peppers to sauces and dishes, mostly to keep them from spoiling. The tomato, when mixed with roux, became an important part of shrimp creole. The Spanish dish, paella, made from rice and shellfish, became the creole dish, jambalaya. European immigrants brought more flavors and additions to Creole food. The French added in their parts. Free people of color added fish dishes from the West Indies. Sicilians brought pastas and rich sauces from Europe. New Orleans became a literal mixing pot of dishes that are now on every local menu, like pan perdu, the local French toast, like red beans and rice, boudin and andouille sausage, bread pudding and chicory coffee. After the Civil War devastated the local economy, rich foods were replaced with simple gumbos made from fresh vegetables and what little meat they could spare. When the price of ice was beyond their means, they would crush glass and sew it into cheesecloth bags. The tinkling sound as it floated in pitchers provided the illusion of ice, and if the guests even noticed, they didn't care. Most of them knew they might be hosting a dinner under the same circumstances the following week. Ironically, the influx of tourists into New Orleans in the 1960s and 70s, which revived the local economy, came close to destroying the culinary traditions of the city. As most Americans of this period favored bland, simple foods, many of the local hotels and restaurants were forced to create an Americanized version of New Orleans' favorites. Chicory was taken out of coffee, filet powder was rarely used, crabs and oysters were removed from the gumbo, and black pepper replaced the cayenne pepper in every dish. Creole cooking was banished from the restaurants and remained alive only in homes and in a few of the diehard local establishments. Finally, by the late 1980s, food lovers were hungry again for spicy flavors and more daring fare. The Creole and Cajun cuisines once again appeared and became a major drawing card for the city. Travelers came from all over to sample foods that remain unique to New Orleans. You see, eating in New Orleans is more than just a meal. It can be an adventure that you can't have anywhere else. By sitting down at a local table, you become a part of a tradition that stretches back to the very beginning of the city. And since another long-held New Orleans tradition is its ghosts, we'll now take a look at some of the haunted restaurants that have become infamous in the city. Talking about every ghost in New Orleans is as impossible as talking about every fantastic restaurant, so we'll just combine the two and look at some of the best-known places to get a bite to eat with the spirits. Commander's Palace is a large Victorian mansion that's located in the Garden District. Since 1880, it's been praised for its fine quality food and wonderful atmosphere. This being New Orleans, it's not surprising that it has a ghost or two around as well. The restaurant was started in 1880 by Emile Commander and offered only the best food to the most distinguished families of the mostly American Garden District. By 1900, it was attracting people from all over the country. Even during the 1920s, when it was under different management and served as a haven for gamblers and sporting gentlemen from the riverboats, it still maintained a family dining room downstairs. It was refurbished once in 1944, but when the Brennan family remodeled it again in 1974 and gave the place a whole new look, stories of a resident ghost soon followed. The restaurant is believed to be haunted by Emile Commander himself, and he's known to frequent one of the upstairs dining rooms that's known as the Sun Porch. 
One night, a table was set in advance for dinner guests, and a bottle of wine was opened and poured into glasses to allow the wine to breathe. When the host returned with the guests about an hour later, one of the wine glasses was found to have emptied. No one had been in or out of the room during the time the host was away. Unexplained occurrences still continue to take place in that room, along with other parts of the building. Dishes and silverware are often moved and sometimes vanish to reappear again later. Footsteps are heard pacing through the building at night. Lights turn on and off on their own, and glasses of liquor are often mysteriously drained. Staff members sometimes express a reluctance to discuss these odd events, but all agree that the weird incidents are harmless. There's little doubt in their minds that Emil Commander still believes he's the owner of the restaurant today. The LaBranch House, which is now home to the Royal Cafe, is considered one of the most photographed buildings in the French Quarter thanks to all of its ornate ironwork. The property is located at the corner of Royal and St. Peter Streets, and records date back to 1796. It was originally owned by Marianne Dubril, a free woman of color, although there were other structures here that were previously destroyed in fires in 1788 and 1794. A wealthy sugar planter named Jean-Baptiste LeBranche, who built the three-story structure that stands today, purchased the land in 1832. LeBranche and his wife Marie lived in the house and had three sons. It was Marie who added the wrought iron balconies that have become so famous after the death of her husband in 1842. It's also said that she tracked down her husband's mistress in 1842 and killed her. The building was sold in 1866 to Paul Napoleon Rivera, and it became the first of more than 30 different owners over the next century. Previous owners always had strange tales to tell about the place because many of them claimed that it was haunted. The Royal Cafe is still said to be haunted by at least two ghosts, Marie and her husband's unnamed mistress. They seem to be stuck together here. Marie makes her presence known on the second floor of the restaurant, usually as a very strong and disconcerting presence. Many people who have dined here report feeling as though someone is standing directly over their shoulder, looking down on them. When they turn to look, they always discover no one is there. She also appears on rare occasions wearing a dark blue dress. It's thought that her misdeeds in connection with the house have tied her to this place. The more active and more restless ghost in the house is that of the mistress. She's believed to be responsible for moving tables and chairs around, but mostly makes her presence known on the third floor of the building. Here she has rearranged furniture and has even thrown a coffee cup across a restaurant sales manager's desk. It's believed to have been in this part of the building where she died. Legend has it that Marie kidnapped her, chained her to an attic wall, and allowed her to starve to death. Jeez. Today, this area is used as an office, but strange things did not begin to happen here until it was renovated a number of years ago. Since that time, numerous electrical anomalies have been reported, including computer failures and lights turning on and off at strange times. There have also been cold spots encountered along with doors opening and closing and the sound of footsteps that cannot be explained. Neither ghost in this place seems ready to leave anytime soon. Brennan's has been a landmark in New Orleans since the restaurant first opened in 1956. However, the history of the site dates back to 1794 when Gaspar Dubai and Huberto Remey purchased the property. Five days later, the Great Fire destroyed more than 200 buildings in the city, including this one. New buildings were constructed on the ruins and went through a series of owners until 1820 when the property was purchased by Martin Gordon. Gordon was a prominent Virginian who made the house the center of fashionable Creole gatherings in New Orleans. 
President Andrew Jackson appointed Gordon as the collector for the Port of New Orleans, but his notoriety was short-lived. Financial reverses forced the Gordons out of the house in 1841. The next owner of the house was Judge Alonzo Morphy, the father of Paul Morphy, who was mentioned in the last episode. Morphy mastered the game of chess at age 10 and defeated the best players in America and Europe. He once played eight contestants at one time while blindfolded and won all the matches. He was also a nut. Anyway, his family sold the house in 1891. Several other owners followed, including Tulane University, who rented the building to Owen Edward Brennan in 1954. He renovated the property and eventually his sons purchased it from the university. It's since become known as a world-renowned eatery in the French Quarter and a place where you can experience dinner and spirits of both kinds. One of the most haunted areas of the restaurant is the Red Room, which is located upstairs and occupied by a tragic spirit. According to legend, a murder-suicide occurred in this part of the house during the Civil War. The owner of the house killed his wife and son and then hanged himself from a brass chandelier. According to management and staff, the chandelier located in this dining room will sometimes flicker for no reason, and then seconds later, they say, the shadowy figure of a man will emerge from the corner of the room, pause for a few seconds, and disappear. He's been seen by people who both work and dine at Brennan's. Also, unexplained footsteps are sometimes heard in the room late at night after all the guests have departed. More than one waiter or busboy has heard or felt something out of the ordinary in the dining room, and many of them will not go into that room alone. Muriel's, on a corner of Jackson Square, has long been known for its resident ghost. The spirit is believed to be that of Pierre-Antoine Leparty Jordan, who built the place in the 1700s. He loved the house, but was a terrible gambler. In 1814, he wagered the house in a poker game and ended up losing the one thing he loved most. When he finally was ordered to leave the place, he committed suicide instead, making sure he never had to. He now haunts the second floor, and the staff sets a place for him at a table every night. Yo Mama's on St. Peter Street is not a place where you'd expect to find lingering phantoms. It offers video gambling, televised sports, a loud jukebox, and over 50 different kinds of tequila and one spirit. The site was once occupied by a tailor shop owned by a Mr. Green. He hanged himself there. Since the bar is open, employees have reported spotting a tall man with graying hair and a nice smile, often sitting at the bar. One bartender claims he once ordered a Jack and Coke, and when he turned around to serve it, the man, who had rope burns on his neck, by the way, had disappeared. Staff members say that Mr. Green has been known to tap people on the shoulder and vanish when they turn around. He also likes to move balls around on the pool tables and pinch customers, men and women, on the butt. I'd say this makes him the most annoying ghost in New Orleans. The Court of the Two Sisters is famous for its jazz brunch, with over 80 items on the buffet, which is held out back in the courtyard. It's not as famous for the two resident spirits, although they should be because they're the ones who gave the place its name. The building was once occupied by the Camorre sisters, Emma and Bertha. They had a shop selling perfumes and gowns from Paris. They were inseparable in life and died within a short time of one another. According to staff members and diners, they remain inseparable in death. They're often seen sitting or walking around arm in arm in their beloved courtyard. There is perhaps no other restaurant in New Orleans that is as famous as Antoine's. It was first established in 1840 and is now fifth generation family owned. When New Orleans cuisine is talked about anywhere in the world, this is one of the first restaurants that comes to mind. It's also played a large part in the city's culinary history and is home to a lot of ghosts. 
Antoine Alcatori came to New Orleans in 1840 after briefly working in the restaurant business in New York. He first worked in the kitchen at the St. Charles Hotel and then started a boarding house and a restaurant. After he was established, he sent for his fiancée in New York and she came to New Orleans with her sister. After they were married, the two of them set to work making their restaurant the finest in the city. Their hard work paid off. And soon Antoine's outgrew its small quarters and moved down the block to its current location in 1868. Antoine died in 1874. After the death of his father, his son Jules served as an apprentice under his mother before traveling to France to study cooking. In 1887, he returned to New Orleans. His son Roy went on to manage the restaurant for nearly 40 years, steering it through both the Prohibition era and World War II. He passed away in 1972. His son followed in his footsteps until 1984, and the family continues to operate it today. Through all of the changes, though, the younger generations have had little to fear about making a mistake or not operating the restaurant according to the high standards of the family. That's because it's believed that at least one of their own family members has remained behind to keep an eye on things. While several spirits are said to haunt Antoine's, the most visible and famous is that of the original owner himself. Guests and staff members have long confirmed the presence of Antoine's ghost. Sightings of the apparition bear an uncanny resemblance to the man who founded the restaurant so many years ago. Even family members have encountered the ghost and believe that Antoine is still watching over his beloved eatery. On one occasion, a family member was making some dinner preparations outside one of the dining rooms and happened to see what he thought was a busboy enter the room. When he followed the person, though, he reached for the door and found that it was locked. Curious, he unlocked the door and went inside and found the room empty. There was no other way in or out of the room. On another occasion, a young staff member claimed to see Antoine enter a different dining room. He thought it was the head waiter, so he followed him to ask a question. He walked into the dining room, but to his surprise, there was no one there. Returning to the front of the establishment, he saw the head waiter and asked him where he disappeared to so quickly. The other man assured him he'd never left that spot, despite the staff member telling him he'd just seen him go into the dining room. When asked to describe the man he'd seen, the young waiter realized he hadn't looked anything like the head waiter at all. He offered a remarkable description of Antoine, even though he had no idea what the long-deceased owner had looked like. With a smile, the head waiter informed him he'd just met the resident ghost. And the waiter assured him he'd never go into that dining room by himself ever again. lot of stories about the origin of the cocktail and its name, and even New Orleans lore has a story that begins with the arrival in the city of a man named Antoine Pichot in 1795. He fled his home to Santo Domingo because of a slave revolt and brought with him his Caribbean recipes to the city, including his own bitters, which were a family secret. Antoine opened an apothecary shop on Royal Street, and like other pharmacists at the time, he experimented with fermented spirits. In those days, there was a fine line between spirits and medicine because alcohol was believed to be the redeemer of all social ills. Of course, that only changed when prohibition ruined things for everybody. Antoine was a Freemason, and his shop became an after-hours destination for his Masonic brothers. On those nights, he blended brandy with bitters and likely served what was the very first American cocktail. He mixed everything using the large end of an egg cup 
And since it's double-ended, it's possible that the design influenced the jigger that bartenders use for drinks today. As for the name cocktail, it's derived in part by the mispronunciation of the original French word for egg cup, probably by another American who speaks French as badly as I do. Anyway, it was something like coquette. It eventually ended up as cocktail. It's a long story, just take my word for it. But while people in New Orleans started enjoying cocktails in the middle 1800s, they weren't yet enjoying them in bars. Drinking establishments were then known as coffee houses, many of which were named after precious stones for some reason. In 1851, the gem opened on Royal Street, probably because the names Ruby, Pearl, and Diamond were already taken. The Merchants Exchange Coffee House became one of the city's first liquor stores and later changed its name to the Sazerac Coffee House. What the owner, Aaron Board, offered was a sip of the era's most famous French brandy, Sazerac du Fouage, and a dash of bitters, finally giving a name to the concoction first created by Antoine Pichot. The next owner of the place, John B. Schiller, was the one who promoted the Sazerac cocktail, though. It became so popular, he was said to have sold a quarter million dollars worth of it in his lifetime, just selling Sazeracs. The next owner of the coffee house, Thomas Handy, dropped the word coffee from the name and replaced the French brandy in the cocktail with American rye whiskey, and it soon became one of the most famous drinks in New Orleans. And of course, it's neck and neck with another New Orleans classic, the Hurricane. A lot goes into the making of a hurricane, a lot of liquor and a lot of history. Vincent Pat O'Brien is credited with the creation of both the hurricane and the bar where it's famously served, which opened in 1933. But that was probably not Pat's first experience with running a bar. During Prohibition, only a few doors away was a speakeasy called Club Tipperary. You could only get into the speakeasy with a password, and that password was Storms Bruin and it was allegedly run by Pat O'Brien. In 1942, Pat moved the bar to its current location, but was having a lot of trouble getting alcohol due to shortages caused by the war. Distilleries were converted to make bullets and grain was being used to make rations for soldiers. Rum was still easy to get though, and when a passing traveling salesman showed up one day selling glasses shaped like hurricane lamps, he took passion fruit juice, lemon and sugar and threw them all together with rum and the new drink was born. The many drinking establishments of New Orleans have created legends in the city, and they often seem to go hand in hand with ghost stories. We talked about hauntings at Lafitte's blacksmith shop and the old absinthe house in past episodes, but there are plenty of other places where spirits and spirits can be found in New Orleans. On the second floor, the Bourbon Pub is a dance club. Downstairs, though, it's a bar. And that's where the resident ghost, called Ma'am by the staff, likes to hang out. Ma'am is the ghost of a small Creole slave lady who is often seen walking through the mostly empty bar area in the early morning hours. She wears an old cotton dress, a bandana around her head, and has a large wooden spoon in her hand. She walks around and mutters to herself, but sometimes stops and looks at staff members before she disappears. Glasses are often moved around the bar, and footsteps are sometimes heard walking around when no one's in the room. Café Lafitte in Exile is the oldest gay bar in the country. It was opened when a former owner of Lafitte's blacksmith shop started going out of his way to make his gay customers uncomfortable and unwelcome. So a regular patron opened a gay-friendly bar just a half block away and then gave it that name. <laughs> During their years in New Orleans, Tennessee Williams and Truman Capote both used to frequent Lafitte in Exile, and their ghosts still do. 
Williams has often been seen sitting at the end of the bar sipping a cocktail while Capote's ghost haunts the small stairwell leading to the second floor. Some people claim that he's even chatted with them as they pass him on the stairs. Both men have been out-haunted, so to speak, by a ghost named Mr. Bubby, a fun-loving spirit often encountered on the dance floor and spotted waving to tourists from the second floor balcony. He has also been known to pinch a butt or two when he's feeling frisky. The buildings that now house O'Flattery's Irish Pub were built in 1798 and were home to businesses with living quarters on the upper floors. The location has a long and sordid history that includes the use of one building as a quarantine house during a yellow fever epidemic. There's also stories of murder and suicide. According to legend, Joseph Baptinier lived in the house here with his wife Mary in 1806. In 1810, he allegedly murdered a young woman on the property and dumped her body into an old well. He committed suicide a short time later, although Mary resided here until her death in 1817. At that time, the property was auctioned off, but reportedly the former owners never left. Mary has been seen many times looking out a second floor window, and the troubled spirit of her husband has been seen and felt many times in the courtyard. And the couple apparently aren't alone here. A third ghost is that of a young woman that was murdered here. She has been dubbed Angelique and has materialized in the courtyard as a young woman with long brown hair. She's also been experienced as a mass of chilling air, and according to reports, her spirit seems drawn to both young men and children, and she enjoys stroking their hair and holding their hands. The Alibi is a favorite late-night hangout in the French Quarter. It's been honored many times as the best bar in the city, and past midnight, it's usually filled with people who work in the many New Orleans service jobs. They're elbow to elbow at the bar with the ghost of another service worker, a former staff member of the Alibi, who still wants to wait on customers. There's also a less helpful ghost who is known for throwing bottles, glasses, and silverware off the bar, and sometimes directly at staff members. This spirit is said to be that of a man who was stabbed to death behind the bar many years ago. The attic of the building is off-limits to everyone but employees, but they really don't want to go there anyway. It's said to be the most haunted part of the alibi. Legend has it the attic was once used as a hiding place for escaped slaves who were trying to flee the city with help from the Underground Railroad. No one knows if this is true, but many have reported the sounds of sighs and soft crying in the darkness of the attic. But those who have heard it, well, they never want to hear it again. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language 
better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words Messaged me the other day and, and, Tuesday. and Tuesday, and he's like, "Dude, you didn't include the song John Brown's Body in here." And we talked about it for like ten minutes, and I was supposed to include this little snippet of the song. And I was like, "What the fuck?" And I like raced back through, and I was like, "Dude, it's right here!" Like I got a panic attack. It was it had been so long since we recorded it, I had forgotten that Where? it was in the monologue, not in the discussion. It, was, it like, was all fine, but I gave him a small heart uh, attack. It was like a weird way I had to put it in the show, too. So I was like, I've probably fucked something up, and it's just going to be like dead air. It's not going to make any sense. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> all right. Everybody good? Yep. Okay. Thanks for tuning in to the American Hauntings Podcast, the show where we discuss history, hauntings, legends, lore, and the dark side of American history. We are now in the middle of season four of the podcast, Haunted New Orleans. I'm your co-host, Cody Beck, and with me is my co-host, author, historian, crime buff, and the founder of American Hauntings, Troy Taylor. Hey, see how I didn't interrupt you that time? Yeah, good job. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he totally interrupted me last time. I did. Time. I did. Last Immediately. Episode, I, I know. Well, I don't even know why. I think I just... You had a I joke. was excited, jumped in, and, you know. So. We had fun last episode. Yeah, it was a good episode. It was a so. good time. Um, we, we, we talked horror movies. I don't know what we, we did. want to talk about We now. did. I know. We, we really got off on a tangent there last time. But, I know. Um, you, you know, know we, we should have gotten hurricanes for I know. this episode. Yeah, but they wouldn't. Well, it wouldn't be the as same. I as I complained about in yes. the in the in the in the mon, in the monologue, they would not be the same. They would not be. I've the tried same. them everywhere; they're never the same yeah. as they are when you're down there. I know. I I just talked about that, and I'm yeah. sure we'll talk about it again here in a minute. Yeah, we'll dive into that. Before we do that, let's talk about some other stuff that's going on. What yeah, do we have? We do have up? some stuff coming up um, next month in May, early May. Um, okay, I said next month, but guys, you know that we're recording know. this early, yeah. and so we. You know, like, you know, the last time, a couple episodes ago, everything that we talked about was already sold out by the time the episode aired. And I'm sorry. I don't That's what mean to do for that. Us being prepared. I know. And, you know, I, I I will mention the Haunted America conference. But in our last episode, I said it was more than halfway sold out. And now we're even further beyond that. So I don't know where we are. But where do you think it'll be? I don't know. I, I really don't know. There's no way to predict. Yeah. But I'm going to say that by the time everybody hears this, we will have we will have after hour events that are 
are sold out mm-hmm. already. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, and we'll be even further along because we were over halfway the last time we recorded. So now another two weeks have gone by before people hear this, but I'm just saying that if you want to come and hopefully you do and we'll be there you got to get your tickets, man. Yeah. I mean, we are running me out of time. Minute. We are running out of time. We are running out of possibilities as far as being people being able to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to sell out this year. We really are in advance. I, I'm, I'm predicting this at the end of February, um, but I'm just saying I, I'm pretty it's a sure safe bet. that we are going to. So, yeah. But we do have a couple of events coming up in May. Um, that we've added recently. One is the uh, evening with Lizzie Borden on May 9th. That is a, that's an old favorite. Yeah. I brought it back just because uh, we've had a lot of people who missed out on it before, even though we did it quite a few times yeah. last year or so. But um, that one's coming up. And then we added a new one on the 23rd of May, which is the evening with the Watsika Wonder, which has always been one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, right behind the Bell Witch, that's been one of my favorites, uh, about a spirit possession that happened in Illinois in 1878, and it's one of those stories that um, people have heard of but don't really know that well. So this and, is one and, you've done before, though? Um, I've talked about it quite a bit over the years, but I'm, this is a brand new evening with event. Though. Okay. We have not done it as an evening with event. So um, hopefully, you know, people will get excited. Um, I'm thinking about doing one later in the summer that's going to be a Resurrection Mary one because I don't know if people saw the post that I put up recently, mm-hmm. uh, but I got a hold of or it was given to me uh, an actual photograph of a young woman named Mary Bergovi, who I believe is Resurrection Mary. But there are no photographs of this is the only photograph in existence that anyone knows of Mm -hmm. of this girl. Um, There have been newspaper illustrations, but never any photographs over the years. Uh, But this was just a family who grew up in the neighborhood with her in the the early 30s and it's a picture of this woman's grandmother and Mary Bergovi and it's labeled on the back was written on there in the 30s before she died and uh it's very cool Where'd it's it come just from? really cool this they her grandmother took the picture mm-hmm. and this woman had knew that I had written about and had talked quite a bit about resurrection mary and she just got a hold of me and said hey I just thought you might want to see this and then they they gave me the photo to use however I want. Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. So I I didn't I have not publicized the photo, but you've been I, teasing I, it a little. Bit. I will at this event, and it mm-hmm. will be in a book later this year. Uh, but it until then I'm not going to post it anywhere because yeah. you know how that's going to go. Sure. If I do so. I don't want to do that. So. Awesome. But anyway, um, so there's something that maybe look forward to uh, for an August event. Yeah. So anyway. All right. Later cool. on in the year. Yeah. And I mean, still, I, the possibilities up there that I might get into character for one of these events. I might be Lizzie Borden. I might be Resurrection Mary. We'll see what happens, you know. Uh, let's dive into some listener reviews. Sure. Uh, this first one's from LRJ1981. It's titled Great Podcast. It says, found this podcast last week and have been binge listening. Love the uh, historical aspects are always covered in detail and not just a ghost story. The New, the New Orleans season is fantastic. Thank you for that. This next one's from Sabs1989. It's titled Addicted. Uh, It says, I I love listening to these two. I love uh, that Troy likes to build a story up by starting with some historical background. I like that Cody gets to ask all the follow-up questions we are all thinking, or at least I am. Nails it every time. I was recommended to them by a friend. I started with the Limp Mansion series because we are from St. Louis and booked a night there for our birthdays. We even reserved the St. Louis and Frederick suite. 
uh, or I'm sorry, the, 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 the Lewis and Frederick <laughs> oh, okay. suite. Sorry, that was my bad. Not <laughs> what? Lewis and Frederick. I just saw Lewis and like, yeah. Uh, we we heard it was supposed to be uh, the most haunted. It's fascinating and eerie, but we were sad we did not get to encounter any ghostly experiences. Since then, I've been hooked. I'm starting from the beginning and have now made a bucket list of all the places that I must go thanks to you guys. Of course, I've also continued to recommend to all my friends that listen to you as well and have gotten hooked um, and love you guys as much as I do. Keep up the great job, guys. Well, thank you so much. I, like Honestly, the recommendations really helps. Like if you have oh, yeah. friends that like podcasts, yeah. like the word of mouth thing is such a big thing for us. So I really appreciate it. This last one's from Sagoon409. I don't know. So glad I found you guys. Says I'm not a I'm not a podcast person usually, but when I found your show, I fell in love with it. I listened to you on Spotify in Texas while at work, but have also subscribed on iTunes. As a retired law enforcement officer, I greatly appreciate the in-depth research Troy does on all of these different cases. I love the mix of true crime and the haunted past. Cody is adorable, and I <laughs> laugh at the age gap-related references that occur. <laughs> yeah. I've been I've been binge listening to your show and just finished season three thank you for all the great information and great fun i too greatly want to know who is behind the black dahlia murder keep up the great work tanya thank you so much um that you said i was adorable i really appreciate that don't care what you said about troy but that's all no <laughs> yeah. uh, no thank you thank you so much um you've had a couple law enforcement people say that they appreciate the amount of research and stuff that yeah, you it's, do it's fun i could it's, see you you could be in the fbi fun. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think I'd make it. I don't know so, how it works. Yeah. Oh, there are background checks involved and things like that. I don't. And probably mental health tests. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. that's it. You know what? Never mind. <laughs> yeah, this is a bad idea from the start. Um, are you ready to dive into food and spirits? Sure, absolutely. All right. Yeah, absolutely. This is like my two favorite things about New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, ghost stories. What ghost stories? All like, you know, yeah, food and drink. Just eat and drink it. Yeah, so you mentioned food is another defining characteristic of New Orleans. Uh, gumbo, jambalaya. Poe boys, all that stuff. Hurricanes at Pat O'Brien's. Um, also, uh, I don't like the way you talked about the hand grenades. Uh, I feel like you're coming <laughs> oh, at them man. all wrong. Yeah, no, I'm not. Um, they're a great time, <laughs> okay. and I had numerous of them last time we were there, and it was it was great. I think uh, I still remember the you weren't there for the Julie Warren. Tra- I'm and I'm using her name. Do it. But you weren't Drag there her. for the Julie Warren hand grenade story. I'm sorry, but nobody was really there for the Julie Warren oh, hand grenade man. story because Holy I took cow. care of that. You're yeah. welcome. Oh man, and that was Julie, a nightmare. You're welcome too. And we love Julie. Don't yeah, get me no, wrong. Julie's Julie great. is the best. She's but, my favorite person. Yeah, she is. But and she was. She, she ended up fun? with. She ended up with like extra shots in her hurricane. Oh, I think somebody was, talked her into something. No, you know how we, they do. We bought our drinks at the same time, but from two different oh, bartenders. bartenders. Mm. And so it's your fault. Bartend- <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. All right. Okay. But Sorry. At least you just gave me this stare. Something <laughs> happened. Something hers. happened with Julie's. Let's. Uh, we went to dinner afterward. She was too drunk to even sit at yeah. the table to eat with Ugh. us. It was. It was bad. Oh, it was man. really bad. I'm glad she had a good time. She, she w- did. She did. But uh, well, I don't know how much she remembered the next day. But sure. I mean, she was a train wreck that yeah. night. And she had the she only a happy one. Happy train wreck. She was. Well, so and like then, a happy drunk. And then the year after, when we had. Maggie and Elise. Well, I've told no. that story, I Which think, on the I podcast. Carrying? Wait, when you had short hair? That, that was the one when I had my head shaved. <laughs> yes. yes, it was that. that really? So that was that that weekend. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we'll have more stories after oh, this summer, Oh, I'm too. sure. So. Um, I like this quote. You said, you can find an eclectic mix of culinary styles in New Orleans, but most people think of Creole and Cajun dishes when they think of the local fare. Neither of these styles came from the French food. It was the Ursuline nuns that brought the French culinary skills to New Orleans. And so 
Um, Everything we think of as food in New Orleans yeah. came was not none of it came from the French, right? Not really, right? Is I it, mean, there there are French dishes, but sure. the majority of it was contributed by the Native American population mm-hmm. and the slaves, right? I you, mean, and they created it from the French food, and that's what gives us. Yeah, they know, they did so. what they could with what they had. You said, right. In the meantime, right. African slaves were developing col- real culinary skills by doing what they could with what they had. The Spanish brought their own culinary customs to New Orleans, along with ideas and products adapted from the Mayans and Aztecs of Central America and the people of the West Indies. So this is like a melting pot. It really is a mixing pot. Yeah. I mean, essentially, that's what we think of as New Orleans food. It comes from so many different places, Mm -hmm. you know, and so many different influences. And that's, that's that's why I've said numerous times that you can get you can get New Orleans food in other places, sure. but it's never the same mm-hmm. because it was created there and it's best eaten there, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I'll get things because I miss it. Yeah. You know, I'll order a hurricane somewhere or I'll order jambalaya somewhere because I'm like, oh, I really, you know, wish I was in New Orleans kind of thing. Go to Popeye's. But then it's, well, no, no I try to avoid <laughs> Popeye's. But um, although it's not bad, it's, you know, it's, it gets a bad rap. But yeah. anyway, the point is, is that it's just not the same. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you can get, you can get a, a sub sandwich, you can get a po' boy somewhere else, it? Yeah. but it in, definitely isn't the same, right. you know? And so it's, you know, it's, you got to have it there. This I is, mean, that's see, the important thing. I understand the, like the importance of food for people. And like, I worked for a company where food was like, these guys loved food and, and freaked out about food. But I'm I've been such a picky eater my entire life. Yeah, food see is, that's at least it's the same way. Food is just yeah. I only eat because I have to. Well, I try <laughs> to get her to get try that. stuff. We go to the gumbo shop. She won't even try it. Yeah, and it's yeah. like I don't come on now. If it used to swim, I'm out. Yeah, yeah but I, I usually so get creepy. chicken and sausage. And I've tried that. Yeah, yeah. but then yeah. again, if it's really spicy. And yeah, I'm you gonna, don't like that. Well, if yeah. I'm gonna have right. heartburn for it and pay I for know. it later, I'm out. Yeah, with a bunch of drinks on top of that. But I get that chicken po' boy. Yeah, you did. You did. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But I know food food is like a, can be a community thing, bring people together, yeah. you know, and, and so I, I respect that. I just don't get it. But you said, ironically, the influx of tourists into New Orleans into the ni- in the 1960s and 70s, uh, which revived the local economy, came close to destroying the culinary traditions of the city <laughs> yeah. because they want to like Americanize versions well, of Well, I mean, this is, stuff. you know, you got to remember, this was like the, the, the era of Howard Johnson's and stuff. Sure. You know, I mean, this was a time period where... Bland was beautiful. Yeah. You know, that's what uh, uh, people, this is when TV dinners were invented. Right. And, things. and so people were not very daring with their food choices during that era. And they covered up hardwood floors with this gross With carpet. carpet. Yeah. And, right, exactly. It was, it was, it was all part of that time period. And then, you know, it took a while, but eventually, you know, the, the foodies mm-hmm. became a thing and people started, it, it, you know, it became a whole culture in itself. Right. That's when we started to buy the, 80s and late 80s, mostly into the 90s, we mm-hmm. started to have celebrity chefs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then you've got Emeril Lagasse and people sure. who Bam. are... Yeah, but, but you had Emeril who was, while there were a lot of chefs, Cajun chefs and, and people, other people, he was the guy who put the face on it that made it popular all over the country. Like mainstream kind of Right. Stuff. And, you know, who I think, you know, I think not only is he a great guy, but he does so many things for charity and stuff, but oh. he's... Really, I didn't know that. In my opinion, responsible for getting the mainstream people interested in Cajun food and Creole food. I mean, there's a lot of other people that are doing it. John Bash and all these guys that do it that do it great. Mm-hmm. But he's the one who made it mainstream. 
How long? You know, how long have you been going to New Orleans now? Um, when was the first time you went? Eighties, late eighties. So you've seen these like different yeah. stages. Yeah, and stuff. I mean, I've seen all. I mean, I've seen all different eras of what, you know, when you, you know, there's certain things you did in New Orleans or you did in the French Quarter. It was okay to do this or mm-hmm, then, it, mm-hmm. then you don't do this. And then that's a right. tourist thing you can or can't do. And you got to keep all your money in your front pocket because mm-hmm. you're probably going to get robbed. And, you know, I've seen it go through all these different stages over the years. And I mean, I saw it, I saw it after Katrina, yeah. you know, when the place was empty, even though. The French Quarter was barely, was really not even touched, but it killed business because everyone's idea of New Orleans was that it was wiped out by the hurricane. Uh, and yeah, that's what so I the, the tourism just was destroyed. Mm-hmm. Restaurants closed. And tourism runs tour, that city, Tour right? businesses closed. Yeah. And it was, it was like a ghost town. Mm. I mean, it was a ghost town then. And you know, but it's now it's it's swung back around again. Mm-hmm. So I've seen it through a lot of different stages, and I've always I've always loved the city, yeah, and just keep going back. And so, yeah, I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of different mm-hmm. things over the years. I think the first time I ever went, I mean, my parents took me there in like 1979 or something. Okay. I mean, I was a young kid, and and um, I went there with my parents. I remember, as, you know, my parents were not my parents were the People I'm talking about that were, you know, the Howard Johnson's type. Yeah, yeah they yeah. were not adventurous eaters. Sure. They're still not. Yeah. I mean, they don't, you know, my, like, you know, my stepdad doesn't eat dressing on his salad. I mean, mm. that's because that's too crazy for him. Oh, man. But I mean, so they took us to New Orleans and I remember us eating at a Ponderosa. Oh, jeez. Yeah. And, you know, Travel right all off, that way. Right, yeah. Right off Canal. I remember. I still remember that. But we stayed. We stayed in the French Quarter. Yeah. I mean, we stayed there. And. My parents were great about, you know, I had this list of places I wanted to see mm-hmm. that I knew were haunted places. And they they did, they took me to all these places, let me see the Lollary Mansion and mm-hmm. all this stuff. So they were really great about that kind of stuff. But I'm not going to feel like I got a lot of culture on that first trip. Sure. So I had to go back as a young adult. Right. I went back on my own and I've been going back ever since. God, pon- Multiple Mardi Gras and I don't do that anymore. Yeah, I'm yeah. too old for that yeah. now. But, I'm too old. Uh, but it's, you know... But yeah, it's it's a great city, and no. the food is, the food and the drinks are are big draws to mm-hmm. me about Pon- that. Ponderosa was my first job, my like really? first real job. <laughs> really? I worked there for like three years. Yeah, I yeah. crushed it. But um, <laughs> what was the name of that breakfast place that I went to? Last? Parent Parentwans. Yeah. So yeah. okay. So something I want to talk about with the tourism industry is the the waiter that we had. So I, I oh yeah, I got up early. I went for a yeah. walk, and I was just gonna walk around, and then I saw some people that we were with, and they flagged me down through this like open window that was in this restaurant they're like hey come in you know hang out with us i was like all right so i go in i was gonna get an omelet and the guy's like uh he's like you know hey sugar how you doing he's like you know you want a drink and i was like always honey always yeah. babe yeah, yeah i love was, that guy and it was like nine i know, I know exactly who you're i do too about. i was yeah. great it was nine thirty. i was hungover i was like no i don't and he's like well if you can't if you can't drink at nine thirty in new orleans like where can you drink and i was like yeah. oh fuck all right yeah. <laughs> yeah so he brings me a drink and then he's like i just want to warn you there is a shot of bacardi 151 at the top but i also want to let you know there's a shot of bacardi 151 <laughs> at the top <laughs> yeah. he had these like bits and stuff mm-hmm. right in this routine and uh, i realized after a while and, and thinking about it when I was talking about it is that since tourism is such a big thing down there that like any people are gunning for that job right yeah. he has oh, yeah. to perform it's he has to great. put on a they show that's a yeah there are a lot of career that guy yeah. sure. the guy who's um, at the gumbo shop at, our waiter at the gumbo mm-hmm. shop I, that guy's been my waiter for 20 years Jeez. I mean I purposely try to get his table if, yeah. I can, if he's working 
if I can, if it's not too crowded, I will ask mm-hmm. to be seated in his section. Because he's the best waiter. He's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. It was just very, it was very interesting. Yeah. Yep. yep. Yeah. It was just very interesting to me because I'd never thought about it that way. But like there's 20 other people ready to take that job if he doesn't yeah. want it. And he just, yeah. You know, just service delivers. industry, service industry, I think is probably, well, I'm 99% sure it's the biggest industry in New Orleans, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the waiters and the bartenders and the servers. And uh, she wasn't there the last time we went, but, you know, we always go to the uh, the Boondock Saint, that oh, yeah. Irish oh, yeah, bar. Yeah. And there's a, a bartender who works in there who grew up in central Illinois. So, and she remembers me every time we it's go so in. It's so crazy that that's like, that's your yeah. favorite bar there, right? I do yeah. love that it's bar. It's just quiet and yeah. it's off Nobody Bourbon Street. It. It's not busy mm-hmm. and it's just a nice, quiet little bar and you can get a good drink and you can take a breather. Mm-hmm. From, There's a fan right at Yeah, the you can bar. take a breather from, and then the bathrooms are horrific like they usually well, sure. are everywhere else. At, at but, a bar. And it's right across the street from Preservation Jazz Hall and it's just one of those places that is a nice mm-hmm. little spot to go that is nice and cool. Get away from the heat, get away from the crowd. There's a pizza place. I love stopping in there right across the street. You go over there and get pizza. Yeah, pizza. Yeah. It's just one of those slice places. Yeah, oh, you yeah. guys, you got pizza yeah, over there we, too. Cody and I got yeah, pizza. right next to the yeah. Yeah, preservation. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. couldn't remember, so. but yeah, we had a good time. But I want to end with this quote: "You said eating in New Orleans today is more than just a meal. It can be an adventure that you can't have anyplace else. By sitting down at a local table, you become a part of tradition that stretches back to the very beginning of the city. And I think that's very poetic and accurate, and I love it." Let's talk. Let's talk about some ghosts. So we're gonna go first to uh, Commander's Palace. Yeah, yeah, which, it's it's up in the Garden District. Sure, yeah. and it was a, a Victorian mansion in the Garden District. Started in 1880 by Emil Commander. Is that that's his last name? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. all right. I yep. thought it was a military thing. Anyway. Nope. Uh, re- it's remodeled by the Brennan family in 1974. And, and that's, that's probably not a correct pronunciation, but as far as I know, that's how Commandant, I say it, too. Yeah. I don't even bother. Everybody knows how bad I am already. Right. So, uh, yeah, remodeled, the remodeled by the Brennan family in 1974. That's when the ghost story started. We've talked about that before, yes. how the remodeling yes. stuff kind of might piss people off or shift things, things up. Stirs sure. things up, yes. Yeah. Um, believed to be haunted by uh, Emil himself. Um, so, wait, so... You can be a wine drinking ghost because I'm down for apparently, this. Apparently, I didn't yeah, know. Apparently, so you just drink there are people's se- drinks. Several different. Well, and I think maybe it's a New Orleans thing, but there are several different ghosts that like to drink like people's drinks yeah. in New Orleans and pinch people on the ass. There's at least yes. two of those in the story. I yeah. saw that. Yeah. <laughs> um, is this so? There's a Brennan's in Central West End. Is that same related? People, same family. It's a great bar yeah, too. It, it is. Okay. I, I, it probably probably. Is. Is. I mean, it probably is. Be, sure, but. Most of their restaurants, they, you know, I should probably have looked this up, mm-hmm. but I think they probably, I think they have some things in other cities, mm-hmm. but they've got like 10 restaurants in New Orleans. Yeah. The family, you know, That's the family crazy. does. And 10 restaurants know, in a, like the city's not that big. No, but, 10 but restaurants they, awesome. you know, they really have a, you know, they really have a handle on it and they're all good restaurants. Yeah. Every one of them. Yeah. It's like when you go to Chicago, if you go to the Lettuce Entertainment you restaurants, um, those Not are clear. all part, and they do lots of different types of food, mm-hmm. but they're always good. They're always, you know, outstanding sure. restaurants. And same way with anything that owned by the Brennans is the same way. Since you just plugged that, you better tell people how to spell it because they're not going to understand that. What? Lettuce? Oh, lettuce, like L E T T U C E. Lettuce. Yeah, lettuce entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they, I mean, they're. Great restaurants. Yeah. It's the same same way with Brennan's in New Orleans. Is that a restaurant where they throw the rolls and they're really mean at you? 
that no, no, that's no. something different. <laughs> Bevix or whatever. Um, okay, so let's move yeah. on to the Royal Cafe. Uh, originally the La Brache? La Brache? La Branche, La I guess. Branche. That's okay. House. Uh, my bad French. One of the most photographed buildings in the French Quarter. And as soon as I Googled it, I was like, oh, I've oh, yeah. used this yeah, photo. Yeah, you've seen this. Yeah, everybody has. Yeah, yeah, everybody yeah has. It, it's, it's all over the place. Uh, I've seen this house everywhere. It's originally owned by uh, Marianne Dubriel. Brill, I don't know, a free woman of color, built by Jean-Baptiste Labrache, Labrache, whatever, and uh, his wife Marie, who lived there with their three sons. Marie added the uh, the wrought iron balconies after the death of her husband in 1842, and that's how you'll, I mean, the, the color oh, yeah, of it right you, now, and then the balconies, yeah, that's you how know you're gonna, it. Yeah, you'll know you'll it know from it. that, because, I mean, there's you find those wrought iron balconies everywhere, mm-hmm. but that one is really over the top ornate yep. and so everybody photographs that yep. that and down the street you know down royal yep. with that building i yeah. love it i love it and so she did that after the death of her husband in 1842 but it's also said that she tracked down and uh, killed her uh, husband's <laughs> mistress in 1842 that's a story yeah and uh the place had over 30 different owners over the next century which blew me away at first and i was like well it is 100 years so there's yeah. a lot going on uh, but it's said to be an to be inhabited by at least two ghosts, Marie and her husband's unnamed mistress. They seem to be stuck there together, which sounds like hell. Uh, It's (laughs) thought that her misdeeds uh, in connection with the house have tied her to the place. It's believed that uh, to have a part in uh, the building where she died. So legend has it that Marie kidnapped her, chained her to an attic wall, and allowed her to (laughs) starve to death. Yeah. Nice, uh, huh? The the more active and restless ghost uh, is the mistress. She's rearranged furniture, too, which is kind of nice, but like, damn. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't that suck? That's a lot. I mean, that's, that's not someplace that you don't want to be stuck there like that. Yeah, well, so. you know, don't cheat. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's just brutal. But what happened to the husband? Apparently, he's not there. Sure, yeah. So yeah, he, he moves off. on. The mistress gets stuck. So yeah. that seems like a raw deal. That you know what? That's true. It takes yeah. two to tango. Yeah. Um, let's okay. Move on to, to Brennan's, which we mentioned earlier. So it's been a landmark since 1956. Uh, 1970, or sorry, 1794. Great fire destroyed more than 200 buildings, including this one, and went through several owners, including Judge uh, Alonzo Morphy, uh, father of Paul Morphy, the Who, chess guy. Yeah, the chess guy that we talked about in the last right. Episode. And still don't understand how you play chess blindfolded. I but don't either. Whatever, but this sounds like some Game of Thrones shit. This is the Red Room, uh, where a murder-suicide oh, allegedly right. occurred, right. Uh, causing the lights to flicker and a shadowy figure to appear, unexpected footsteps, things like that. Um, moving on to Muriel's Ghost of Pierre Antoine Lepardi Jordan, I think. Yeah, yeah, it's good enough. Hey, thanks. Yeah, uh, he was a terrible gambler. Lost a house <laughs> in a bet, but instead of leaving, it just kills himself. Do we know how he killed himself? No, I, I don't know. He probably, I, I don't know. I yeah. mean, I, I, I really don't know the story <laughs> sure. behind that one. So, but I've been up in that room. They, there's a seance room upstairs. Okay, at fun. Um, it's a, it's kind of a cool place. I mean, I've never, I've never actually eaten there, mm-hmm. but I've been in there quite a few uh, times. You would, just, yeah, yeah, just to see. But, um, but More yeah, there's curious. like a seance room with like uh, Egyptian sarcophagus and stuff upstairs. Last time I was in there, that's weird. Yeah, it's you know, if you're standing looking at the cathedral. Mm-hmm. It's over to your right, all the way over on the corner, and it actually sits right on the corner. You can't miss it. You've oh, seen so it. We're right, yeah, times. we're right by there. Then, yeah, it's. Um, but yeah, it's. A, it's. But it's. It's a little. Little more upscale than I normally eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because I, you know. Usually I'm, you know, wandering around in a pair of shorts drunk. So I don't, yeah. No, I'm not going to Ponderosa. But yeah. And so, you know, it seems like a nicer place than I should know. Uh, But it's, uh, but it is cool. And I have been up in the seance room, as they call it. So nice. So the next place, 
Yo Mama's. Yo Mama's on St. Peter's. Okay. Yeah, you've, um, you've seen it. I don't I? know that we've been in there, but yeah, um, you've definitely seen the it. The language you use here is specific, and I'm curious. Is there a difference between a ghost and a phantom? Well, I I don't think you so, just get but creative. I didn't I didn't want to keep using the word ghost. Sure, okay, I was you just know, wondering. So, and if I keep using spirits, it starts to get lame. Well, after it a while. starts to get mixed up so, too. Like we're talking alcohol, <laughs> yeah, or we're right, talking dead people. Right, that's the thing. When you start talking about food and drink, it gets tricky. Okay, I just didn't know if if there was if that was like some defining no, thing not you really. did. Okay, so Mr. Green uh, hang himself there. Sounds like clue or something. I don't know. Uh, one bartender claims that he once ordered a Jack and Coke and when he turned around to serve it, the man who had rope burns on his neck, by the way, had disappeared. And he's one of the pinchers that you Well, about. and not only that, but he really does sound irritating. Yeah. I mean, there is nothing about this particular go- I mean, tapping you on the shoulder and going when you turn around. I mean, that's the kind of Dad stuff. Jokes, that, well, I mean, kids. that's the kind of stuff. It's like that he's like a fourth grader. Yeah. You know, and so that that would be annoying. Yeah, it would be annoying yeah. as hell. Uh, let's move on to the court of two sisters. So there's jazz brunch, uh, two residents. Yeah. Renee spirits. loves that. Renee, our friend yeah. Renee Cruz loves court of two I sisters. I love Renee. She yeah, sends she, me cool stuff. She goes there for love you, breakfast. Renee. She yeah, teaches so. me fun things. Yeah, she went there. I think she went last time we went down. She Really? there for brunch. Yeah. Oh. So, so Emma, and it is really good. They do really yeah. have a nice. Well, I might have to there. check it out. Yeah. Emma and Bertha Kammer, Kamor? Yeah, Kamor. Uh, they sold perfumes. Is that according to staff members and diners, they remain inseparable at death. They are often seen sitting or walking around arm in arm in their beloved courtyard. This is also adorable. I it's think. a nice story. You know, yeah. yeah it's, see, it's, it's not like the these other ones. ones about people being murdered and right. hanging around there with their. You know, the husband's mistress. Hi. These are just like two nice old ladies that yeah. died and now they just stay there. Yeah. So. Now that you mention it, the mistress thing, I, th- I imagine it's like American Horror Story season yeah, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sh- just like they're dead, they know it, and they're like, fuck you. Like, yeah. I hate you. They probably fight all the time. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so, Nicholas, moving on to An- Antoine's. Antoine's. Yeah. Um, so, move to its current now location. Now, that's not the place, the place that you go is Pere Antoine's. Right. Right. Antoine's is much more upscale than where we normally go. Well, that sounds about right. It yeah. is. And it's yeah. a nice place. Yeah. It is. I've eaten there once, but again, mm-hmm. it's one of those places that I... In it's shorts too, and, too nice for me right. to go. You know? Yeah. It moved to its current location in 1868. Uh, the restaurant survived through Prohibition and through World War II, so bravo. It's impressive. Uh, while several spirits are said to haunt Antoine's, the most visible and famous is that of the original owner himself. Um I was thinking about this. We get a lot of like busboy type stories, you know, and like, I mean, I guess that's who works at restaurants, but right, still, you, sure. you just get a lot of those like, you know, I was stocking glasses right, and right. something weird happened or somebody came in and they were early. And I was like, yeah, take a seat, you know, like <laughs> right, limp sure, stuff. Sure. And, yeah. It's just like a, it's one of those tropes. Um, okay. Move on to Antoine Pachaud. Is that right? Yeah, we get into the drink section. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We're, we're, so, so we've kind of moved from out of the restaurant to the bar to the drinks. Okay. You said so. this is the very first American cocktail. Ten, where, well, where I, you know, what do you, yeah, how that's do you, one of those things. There are so many stories. Yeah. And but I just thought it was important that even though you know people in you know Chicago and New York and everybody claims to have invented the cocktail mm-hmm. but New Orleans has a version of inventing the cocktail. Well, what defines a cocktail? Is it just mixing <sighs> mix, liquor mix, with something? mixed drinks? Okay. Yeah. Just, I mean, you know, flavor? cocktails really became popular during prohibition mm-hmm. which was to hide the taste of the you know, hold the, the awful yeah. alcohol that was being served at the, the time, but that's when it became popular, but you know, there are all kinds of stories about where it first started and you know, New Orleans has a version of the story. Mm-hmm. And, and so I 
felt that it was important to include it here. Yeah. So. Well, I say, okay, I say the very first American cocktail, and I wrote down, what the fuck did people drink before that? <laughs> I know, I know. Well, it was a mixed drink. I yeah. mean, technically. I mean, he, you know, the story was is that he brought his, you know, family recipe for bitters. Mm-hmm with him from Santa Domingo, which is Haiti, mm-hmm. and came to New Orleans and started mixing it with brandy and for his, you know, Masonic brothers who would right. after our party. And that was technically the first cocktail or so the story goes. You know, and that he was and He's I don't making Manhattan. I don't know where this part of the story came from, but the the, the legend has it that he was mixing them in egg cups. You know, yeah, you know what an egg cup is. Yeah, but okay. I don't understand why. I, I don't know either. But that's how he was mixing them, and I think they they uses that to to make the story. I mean, because technically, you know, they're saying that the word cocktail came from the French word for egg cup. Mm-hmm. I I don't know if that's true, mm-hmm. but you know, but it does look like a jigger. Sure, you know, yeah. and so that's the story. Okay. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not standing behind this as being a hundred percent true, sure. but it is a New Orleans story, so that's where it came from, and that's right. you know, that's that's we're just gonna go with. Fair that. enough. That's so, a disclaimer yeah. on that. So bars were known as coffee houses, right? They didn't call them bars that's or weird or saloons or taverns. Where, I don't know why. Where does bar even come from? Don't know. I I mean that's what that's what the which is hard sometimes when you're writing about bars because you want to talk about the ghost that's seen at the bar. Well, mm-hmm. the bar is the whole building, but, but it's, it's also, also the, you know, the where you sit wooden down, yeah. area inside the bar where you stand or sit. So, right. um, but for whatever reason in the middle 1800s, they didn't call, they called them coffee houses. Mm. And I, I'm assuming they served coffee as well. Sure. Uh, but then, you know, this one guy decides to start serving, you know, a Sazerac Yeah, drink. What, what is a Sazerac? Did I, and did I have one in New Orleans? Um, that I don't know. They are, um, they are usually bitters with, um, now they have whiskey in them. They mm-hmm. started out with brandy, but now they, it's rye whiskey and there's usually an orange peel in it. They're, it's like an old fashioned or like a Yeah, but, but there's Manhattan no, they're usually not iced. They're usually yeah. just served straight and chilled but they're um i'm not a huge fan i Mm -hmm. I i'll drink them every once in a while just because it's a traditional drink down it's kind of fun uh but yeah they started making them with uh rye whiskey and you know with the orange peel and the bitters and Mm -hmm. you know it's famous it's a famous new orleans drink and i don't it's one of those like a hurricane that you associate with new orleans right even though now they of course serve them other places but it's still not the same i bet i get them like pre-mixed that's terrible oh i'm sure Um, so it became so popular that the guy said he was to have made a quarter million dollars in his lifetime who knows but still yeah but interesting back then yeah i mean a lot of money ridiculous amount um and pat o'brien with the hurricane and they had a speakeasy yeah down the just two doors down from the old place but and what's funny about it is the the password was interesting storms brewing yeah which then makes you think of a hurricane even though they hadn't even invented hurricanes right right so i love it we did uh when i lived in new york we there's a premiere of or like a screening, I guess, of The Great Gatsby, and we all like dressed up and stuff oh, like yeah. that. And then we went to a speakeasy after that, had yeah. to have a password and everything. It was, oh, it was yeah, awesome. Yeah, fun. That's, so that's much fun. It's a couple of those in Chicago. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's I'm fun. sure, I'm yeah. sure. Uh, let's move on to the Bourbon Pub, uh, the ghost Did we, of... Oh, we didn't... What? We didn't talk about hurricanes. Oh, you want to talk about hurricanes? Well, yeah, we don't have to. But no, I mean, I mean it's... I did tell the story, but... Sure, yeah, no, Pat, okay, no, you're right. Pat O'Brien, hurricanes, Um, I mean, they're... They're delicious. They're the best. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I love them. Yeah. Um, well, I just think they're the best. I know, it, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, well, yeah, that's a touristy thing. But 
I don't get think you so. drunk. I don't think so. I don't think of them as a touristy thing yeah. because, I mean, that's where they were invented. So why would sure. you not want to go there? Well, it's just also it's a. That's it's kind of a touristy thing. What you just said was what tourists say. Mm, well, yeah, I kinda, guess, kinda. I guess. But you know what? That's the best place to get them. They've yeah. got them all over the city, but sure. that's the best. It's my favorite. Yeah, it is my they're, favorite. They and are I delicious. Have, and I'm I have, not hating on you because oh, no, no, you know, I know. I'm you're the right. tourist waiting you're, to be you're, trapped. You're right, I'm always though. looking so, for the tourist I, tra- I mean, I have probably had well over a thousand hurricanes in my lifetime. Nice. And not all of them have come from Pat O'Brien's, mm-hmm. but those are the best ones. Yeah. I mean, I don't care if it's a tour spot or not. It's the best one. I'm not judging And then you, those, man. what are those other things we started getting? The rainstorms. Rainstorms. Rain. Those blue things. What? Remember no, those blue purple. things we were no, drinking? No, I don't remember. Oh, <laughs> man. Mean, those are great. Yeah? Those are really great. I mean, it's just like, how can we disguise alcohol with a fruity flavor and deliver the most Well, boy, it drink, does. You know, You're right about do. that. Well, here's a little hint, too. If you sure. haven't been to Pat O'Brien's before, what you've what you pay for also is the glass because some oh, tourists yeah. will take it oh, home, yeah. Yeah. but not everyone will do that. So right. if you go to visit the Pat O'Briens and you see the glasses hey, don't sitting give out this on the away. tables, no, this is for everyone. This is why right. they listen. All right, go ahead. Well, they're not going to take my glass, you know. No. But anyway, um, if you see glasses sitting out on the table, just go and return them to the bar, and they will pay you cash money for them, yeah, and for then the just the buy glass. your drink with That's that. What we do. Just pick up the yeah, tables. Yeah, we take our glasses. Nice. back and on the way we'll bus other tables and take all the glasses up hell there yeah. and they give you, you like can turn a they profit. give you like two dollars a glass why not yeah so then we we end up with extra drinks it's not even way. towards your next drink they'll just straight give you cash oh really really oh, oh, yeah. i thought it was toward our next drink yeah. well it doesn't matter because well, we're always buying more drinks listen, yeah, yeah listen matter. to our travel podcast for tips right that's an awesome tip you can Drink and make a profit. Yeah. You go. clean up enough tables. See? That's just my ideal life. So now you've gotten all your money back you pay for our podcast. <laughs> so, yeah. Yes, but yes. Okay, let's move on to... Uh, the bourbon wait, pub. Are you done with hurricane? I am done with hurricane. All right, I could go for hurricane. Let's move I on know, to bourbon I pub. Too. The ghost of ma'am? That's what they call her. All right, likely the ghost of a small creole slave lady, essentially. It's kind of all we really... No. Well, she walks around in an old dress with a bandana around it yeah. and it carries a wooden spoon. Yeah. That's what they say. Yes, you know, good for her. Uh, I just, I wanted her to whack people with it, but, that would I, couldn't, be so funny. but I couldn't find any mm. stories about that. Well, I'm glad you didn't fabricate anything for that then. Uh, Cafe Lafitte in Exile. Yeah, that's a nice bar. Yeah, so oldest gay bar in the in the country. During during their years in New Orleans, Tennessee Williams and Truman Capote both used to frequent Lafitte in Exile, and their ghosts still do. Uh, both have been... Uh, out haunted by a ghost named Mr. Bubby. Which is my favorite ghost name ever. Yeah. That is my favorite ever. Mr. Bubby. I love it. I love Who it. Who likes to, again, pinch people on the ass. Sure. That reminds me. But I, lo- I love the idea of him standing in the doorway at the balcony above mm-hmm. at the on the second floor waving at people. Yeah. I don't know oh, why. No, it's funny. This ghost just it's hilarious. makes me laugh. Yeah, it's I mean, hilarious. it just makes me laugh. That reminds me of like... <laughs> When we would go downtown in Alton, there'd be nothing going on. We'd go to Bubby's and Sissy's and we'd walk in oh, and they yeah. would just be kicking it. Like, yeah. Just oh, love, yeah. Love Absolutely. It. I love it so much. Yep. Um, that's amazing. Okay, moving on to O'Flatteries. Uh, o- we had this problem with the uh, uh, St. Louis exorcism. There was a priest named 
Oh, yeah. Or O'Flattery, yeah. remember? Yeah, I'm bad at reading. Um, I, well, no, I'm just bad at pronouncing things. O'Flattery so. is Irish pub, so the location has a long and sordid history that includes the use of one building as a quarantine house during a yellow fever epidemic, along with a murder-suicide. So just a great mix <laughs> yeah, of, yeah. like, uh, you know, potential hauntings and traumatic history. Uh, Joseph Bapinter murdered a young woman, dumped her in an old well, committed suicide a short time. Baptinier. Bap, sure. I had to... I had to look that way. Oh, okay. Out, so. so committed suicide a short time later. His wife, Mary, is still seen looking out a second story window. Um, a third ghost is that of a young woman that was murdered here. She's been dubbed Angelique. That was the girl he murdered. Uh-huh. Yeah. Again, co- yet another, right. you know, third, yeah. third woman. I know. According to, rep- uh, according to reports, her spirit seems drawn to both young men and children. She enjoys stroking their hair and holding their hands. It's really sad. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, so, so sorry. All I these know. mistresses just get screwed yeah. in the end. Uh, let's move on to the alibi. Yes. Which is a great name. Uh, late night hangout. There's uh, ghost of a service worker. His ghost likes to throw bottles and shit <laughs> off the bar. Uh, the spirit is said to be that of a man who was stabbed to death behind the bar many years ago. And then the attic is off limits to everyone but employees. And legend has that the attic was once a hiding place for escaped slaves who were trying to flee the city with help from the Underground Railroad. So have you got to check any of that out? No, I... I um and I'm also skeptical about yeah. that story because it's awfully far south for the underground. That's what railroad. I was thinking. They normally are closer to the. I just included it because that's the story they tell. Mm-hmm. But I think that there must be some other story that's probably more accurate. Yeah. Uh, because that just seems too far away. The underground yeah. railroad places are usually Tier. closer to. Well, they're you know they'll be across By the Mason Dixon line or, or along the border. That yeah. seems awfully far south, but. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? But anyway, you know, it's probably one of those things that we've talked about so many times where strange things happen and somebody comes up with a story to explain sure. it, you know, and yep. maybe they found a secret room up there and thought, oh, wow, this is the underground. Ra-. Who knows? Who knows? You know, who knows? So. All right. Well, it's now time for our Ghostwriter segment. Yeah, if you have a ready. question or comment about the world of the macabre, email us at AmericanHauntingsPodcast@gmail.com. This first email comes to us from Karen. She says, I stumbled into the show by searching on iTunes for podcasts about hauntings. I tried so many that were not satisfying, but then found y'all. I stuck through the early episodes, and now I'm caught up, and I have to say I love <laughs> yeah. the show. Yeah, thank you. Um, as many have said, the history is what makes your podcast stand out from the others. For instance, the Velisca Axe Murders was a story I thought I knew until last season. I've been interested in all things paranormal since I was young. I grew up in a haunted house that had a presence I could interact with. Okay. Uh, currently, I live in the uh, Pacific Northwest. Pacific Northwest, and I'd love West, and I'd love to know if Troy's ever uh, investigated the Shanghai tunnels. I have not. The guy who owns them claims that they uh, were used as Shanghai sailors, but other historians say there's little evidence to, su- evidence to support that. They're supposed to be very haunted. Anyway, just want to say thank you for sharing your labor of love. I wrote a review joking I'd take stars away. I gave you five, of course, for the interrupting, but I meant it facetiously, <laughs> and I hope it didn't hurt or cause any offense. Nope. Uh, one year, I hope to be able to get to the conference and meet you all. Um, no, no. I, I definitely think Cody. Take be- it. I think Cody begged you not to do it. I was just like, it, please don't. No, yeah. I didn't take it seriously. No. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think that that, that might have been the person whose name was like Nightmare, but like with a K. So I was oh, like, okay. are you like a Batman fan or something? Because, <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you so much for that. But so Shanghai tunnels, you uh, never. No, I've never been there. I'm, I'm familiar with them. Yeah. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people who have, but no, I haven't been there. That's not an area I've really spent much time ever. I mean, so. it seems really sad. I don't know if I want to go there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, they're supposed to be super haunted. That I do right. know. But uh, yeah, I've heard different versions of the story mm-hmm. as far as accuracy. And again, you know, 
story gets started and it keeps yeah. getting told and retold, you know, but may right. not necessarily be accurate. So. Yeah, well, I, there's a couple spots on in the Pacific Northwest that I want to hit sometime, so I'll probably play yeah, a trip out of it and knock yeah. out a couple of them at the same yeah. time. But thank you, thank you for the review. Um, uh, this or the email. This next one's from Kari Carey. Sorry, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. it. Says I'm listening to the Spirits of the Civil War episode, and I have a bit of information to add on uh, the songs of John Brown's body in the Battle Hymn of the Republic. Oh, cool. I've always assumed the Battle Hymn was written first, and John Brown's body was just alternate lyrics, but that's not the case. Hmm. My mother, a former music teacher, was asked by our local historical society to lead us in some patriotic song from the American Revolution and or Civil War for our December meeting and she did some research on the songs. The tune of John Brown's body was from a well-known at the time hymn sung at Methodist camp meetings Say Brothers Will You Say Brothers Will You Meet Us Really? Or Canon's cool. Happy Shore uh, hmm. the, the Battle Hymn of the Republic's words were written by Julia Ward Howe who traveled with her husband then director of the Army Sanitation Commission to inspect oh, a yeah, union yeah, camp yeah. outside okay. of Washington, D.C. I knew I knew that name. Yep. While there she took notice of a particularly catchy marching song that the troops were fond of singing, John Brown's Body, she was encouraged by a friend to write some good words to this stirring tune. <laughs> yeah. uh, something Instead of John Brown's body's yes. molding in the grave. S- something higher-minded, yeah. <laughs> grander, yeah. and more poetic, not so coarse. She penned the new lyrics overnight, and they were published two and a half months later. Just a little extra information for you. That's Love cool. the podcast. Yeah, yeah, so thank you so much. Um, this next one's from Tracy. It says, just, uh, just go to Roswell if you want to see a little bit of pre- what pre-Civil War Atlanta and its surroundings were oh, like. Yeah. It says, Sherman yeah. didn't destroy the town because his cousin lived there. Oh, Love okay. the podcast. So Roswell, I, Georgia. I, yeah. I, yeah, I get yeah. Well, yeah, you said yeah, Roswell. I hoped you knew that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I, okay. <laughs> I got it. It's like, well, wait, you know, Roswell, New Mexico Sometimes like I'm Atlanta? not, you know, sometimes I apologize. I'm not sure. So, <laughs> I know. Okay. Yeah. So thank you so much for the emails. Really appreciate it. Uh, real quick, have a couple Patreon shout outs. So thank you so much to our new subscribers, Daniel, Jessica, and Sarah. Cool. Thanks. That's all I got. All right. Good deal. That's it. Okay. Let's go home. All right. We're good. All, All right. right. Thanks, guys. All right. See you We're later. going home. This episode uh, of the American Hogs podcast was written by Troy Taylor. It was produced and edited by I me, Cody Beck. I wasn't, in each yeah. weekly I wasn't even we to combine fooled history, that time, Folklore, so. legend. I didn't try hard. Imagination I, no, well, and the no. truth to reveal more about America's most haunted places, strange tales, and unexplained events. You can find the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorite podcast shows and at AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com. I make the show notes every time More info about the episodes and links from American It doesn't seem to matter. Because American Hauntings isn't just a podcast. It's books, tours, events, and more. And our main website is AmericanHauntings.net. And if you want even more from us, you can become a supporter of the podcast on Patreon. You can get bonus episodes of the show, t-shirts, discounts, great stuff in the mail, and more. Thanks to our supporters, we have upgraded our equipment for the show. And with continued help from you, you we can, can actually hear it better more now. time and resources to creating even more shows in the future. Take a minute and check it out. We think you'll like to find us Patreon.com slash AmericanHauntings. I'm on it. Okay. Be sure to get in just, touch if you have any comments about saying. the show, t-shirts, suggestions, su- suggestions, and general uh, reviews <laughs> jokes or just uh, tell us what you want to th- really think about us we're reachable via email on twitter instagram facebook carrier pigeon all the i know things. all the other things i was trying to think of something new but um, i can't think of anything a note tied to a balloon do we do smoke signals yeah we did but then i told you i thought that was racist oh remember? yeah yeah so we weren't gonna leave that sorry in. <laughs> yeah until next time goodbye so long see you later <laughs>